Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, May 18th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's financial show, we're going to dig into one of the newer kids on the public markets block, Bill.com. We're going to take a a closer look at what the company does, uh, what investors should know before considering it as a potential uh, addition to their portfolio. As always, we've got a couple of stocks we're watching this coming week. And joining me, as always, down on Rainbow Row in Charleston, South Carolina, at least virtually, it's certified financial planner Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Pretty good. We are having some beautiful weather here this weekend, not just in the virtual background, <laughs> but in real life. It's been about 90 degrees and sunny and got took the kids swimming and things are reopening and it's a, it's a good good day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope that um I hope that we will start seeing that reopening here. Virginia's entered into that phase 1, but but Northern Virginia felt like it was still not quite time and so uh, they they delayed Northern Virginia, I think, a couple of weeks. Um, but people are certainly champing at the bit here, and, and, and activity is no doubt picking up. I mean, you can see more traffic on the streets and people around. So I, I think, hopefully, it's it, hopefully we're turning a corner here, and and um, we can get on to to a little bit more of of uh, business as usual. But you know, we just got to kind of wait and see. Um, anyway. Uh, Matt, this week we wanted to jump into uh, taking a look at one particular company. You know, normally every week we're talking about the the news stories and earnings stories and whatnot. And earnings season is wrapped up, and and we thought this would be a great opportunity to dig into a particular company, uh, one that is still relatively new to a lot of people. It just IPO'd recently. And that's Bill.com. And on December 11, 2019, Bill.com said hello to the public markets. The stock IPO'd under the ticker symbol uh, BILL. Shares priced at $22 a piece. That raised about uh, $200 million, a little bit over $200 million for the company at the time. And, and, and today, uh, it is a $5.6 billion market cap. The stock has done very, very well uh, in its short time. Like I said, they priced at $22 per share. It was knocking on $100 door at one point, but trading in that $78 range now. Um, but a company that was, it, it, it's headquartered in California, it was founded in 2006 by Rene Lacert. Um, and, and, you know, they've only reported two earnings uh, earnings quarters to date. And, and we always like to give these IPOs a little bit more time before we really start looking at them as investable companies. And that's why I think Bill.com is on our radar now. Um, Matt, let's just start with the basics here in regard to Bill.com. They say their mission is to make it simple to connect and do business. So, what exactly does Bill.com do? So, their job is to make the whole payments and billing processes easier for small and medium-sized businesses. They're kind of like a square in the sense that they target the smaller end of the market. They do things like um, they'll process accounts payable for um, for companies. They, um, they'll invoice customers. It integrates with all the major account. Their the Bill.com's cloud-based offerings integrate with you know QuickBooks and other accounting software and things like that. So the kind of interesting <coughs> statistic that Bill.com shared when they first IPO'd is that 90% of small and medium-sized businesses in the U.S. still use paper checks either to get paid or to pay other other people. Just kind of fascinating so, to think about these days, isn't it? 
Right. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, you know, large employees, employers, you know, employ a lot of us that are listening right now. And large employers generally use direct deposit to make paychecks. Um, but even so, a lot of large employers send paper checks when they're paying a vendor or paying, you know, paying invoices and things like that. Right. So this is a massive opportunity um, that was really not being addressed. Um, paper checks, you know, they take a lot of time. They, you know, they're costly. They, you know, postage, things like that. Prone to error, so, prone to mistakes. Right. Bill.com really just kind of simplifies this process. Um, and like I said, they, they target the small and medium-sized market um, where it's like, like think of the customers like Square would target for payment processing. It's right. like, you know, that similar. Um, and there's 20 million small and medium-sized businesses in the U.S. So this isn't any tiny market. No, 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 not at all. I mean, if you talk about their market, I mean, I'd be looking through their S1 and they estimate their, their annual addressable market to be globally $30 billion, domestically $9 billion. And when you look at the fact that their trailing 12-month revenue is something like $120 million, that can give you an idea of, of the market opportunity they see and, and where they are in it. Um, to, to go a little bit into the companies that that are customers of, of Bill.com, I, mean, I was looking through their S1 and at the very beginning, you know, they 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 sort of tell the story and, and they throw some quotes in there from customers and and talk about the value that they that they offer up to their to their customers. And I just thought a couple of these quotes it just kind of it made a little bit more sense about what they do. And and so you had one customer that said, "Without Bill.com, we would have had to hire at least one more full time accounts payable person." And that was from a company called Spikeball, an, an athletic equipment uh, company. And there was another quote that said, "Bill.com saved us from having to outsource our account." Payable by not handing it over to an outside firm, we saved about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars last year, and that's from uh, O and M Restaurant Group, which is a franchise operation that runs Burger Kings and. Uh, Blaze Pizzas and Taco Bells. And so that just kind of gives you an idea. Like you said, I mean, they're essentially helping make these payments happen and, and just doing it in electronic form as opposed to paper, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. And um, to kind of get back to your point about how um, how small the revenue is compared to the market opportunity, you mentioned it's a little over $120 million a year is, is the quarterly run rate right now. Um, Bill.com trades for 34 times sales. Yeah. Square and PayPal are in the six to seven times sales range. Yeah. So this is an expensive stock that's trading on its future opportunity. And not profitable and like, either, right? And it's not profitable. Right. It, it lost it. it. It Just to kind of give you an idea of how reactive this stock is, it soared, I think, by 16% the day after earnings this a uh, couple weeks ago. Not because it made money, but because it only lost four cents a share. Um, it's all expectations so, these days, man. It's all about expectations. Right. And the expectation is for losses for the foreseeable future. Yeah. So, but having said that, the, the economics of the business really makes sense, especially if once it starts to scale. Right. Right now, um, the, the gross margin is over 75%. Mm-hmm. So, as the business scales and things get more efficient and they have to start, you know, invest less money, less percentage of their revenue and growth. It'll scale a little bit, and that gross margin should help translate to some some nice profits if they can continue to capture a big share of that addressable market we were talking about. Now, now those gross margins you talk about, and that that really that 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 is a great 
you know, feature that's a nice dynamic to the business, I think, that that gets my interest and makes me want to learn a little bit more. Um, let's talk a little bit about how they make money, because this ultimately is another one of those SaaS businesses, right? That software as a service business. And so, they make their money mostly by subscriptions. Right. So, the, the bulk of their revenue comes from subscriptions. I mean, people, you know, the companies pay to subscribe to their services. They also make money. It's kind of an insurance model. They make money from the float, um, money that they're holding for customers. And this is a, a, you know, it's not an insignificant source of revenue. I want to say it was, you know, over five million dollars out of their, um, you know, you know, thirty or so they they generated for the past quarter. So it's a it's a significant percentage of their revenue that they they're holding money for customers. And until that money is either paid out or paid to the business, paid to their vendors, whatever. They're making interest on that too, and it comes to the tune of million dollars a year. So, it's not just subscription revenue. Um, they, there's there's two main revenue streams. And as they get bigger, I mean that that number inherently grows as well. I mean, right as that float gets bigger, I mean that means their little portion of that float does increase. I mean, it may not ever be the substantial portion of the business, but it, it is something that has the potential to contribute more and more as time goes on. Well. Well, keep in mind that right now that it was, I want to, so that would work out to about 20% of the company's revenue right now. And this is at a time when interest rates are historically low. Yeah. So right now it's, you know, it's holding money, making interest, but it's barely getting paid anything. Mm -hmm. What if the, um, you know, the federal funds rate spikes up to 3% over the next couple of years? Yeah. That, that revenue stream gets magnified. And that's on top of all the actual growth of the, of the business. So, don't think it's just a subscription business. It's kind of a really neat model where they're, you know, getting paid to hold other people's money, kind of like an insurance company yeah, does. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And I mean, I think, you know, there's clearly the potential to grow that customer base. I mean, we talk about the growth numbers there in regard to revenue. Um, I mean, looking at their most recent quarter that they just reported, they had over ninety-one thousand customers, and that represented twenty-eight percent growth from a year ago. Um, and then they also talk about the fact that their platform it reaches because of the network, the customers that they use, it reaches a larger network of small and medium-sized businesses that are are in that network for one reason or another. So you're talking about 1.8 million plus network members that they refer to, and in in the quarter they process six million payment transactions. That was up 23 percent from a year ago. So I mean, clearly. They are they are growing that user base and people are using it, so they're finding value in the platform uh, somewhere. Yes, and ninety-one million customers out of the twenty million small and medium-sized businesses. Ninety-one thousand. Ninety-one thousand. Ninety-one thousand. Yeah. I mean, rather customers out of the 20 million small and medium-sized businesses exactly. is barely scratching the surface. That's it. Yeah. So, I mean, you do see the opportunity that exists there. Um, now, the, the question I, I wanted to ask you in regard to this business, because you and I both looked into this business, and and you know, one of the things we always look for when it comes to these types of companies, um, the market clearly sees something there, and, and I think that you and I both see something with this business as well. But where do you do you feel like this is a business that has a competitive advantage today? Or I mean, do you feel like it's a business that maybe is in the midst of trying to develop a competitive advantage? Um, I think it's still really trying to be developed. Um, I know you I know you have some thoughts on this, so I don't want to steal what you were about Ooh, to say. No, I mean I we, think we you and I both this think before the, the show. I think you and I both were kind of seeing it the same way. I mean, I feel Yeah, like- no, um I I definitely think they have a big competitive advantage. Um as far as they're building a network, the network effect is yeah. is huge in a business like this. It's kind of where I was going to go with that. Absolutely. Um, 
I mean, look, look at um, look at Cash App or Venmo. On we talked about Square and PayPal. Um, I mean, the real value in Venmo right now is that everyone else uses it. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest motivation for a guy like me to get Venmo, or, or you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, when it comes to new technologies, I'm I'm an old guy. I'm old, I'm only, I'm still in my 30s, but I'm like 65 in technology years. So uh, the big motivation for me is the network effect because so many of my friends have it, and it makes it a lot more convenient if I have to send the money. So a, a similar thing can will happen here. There's a lot of you know, like you said, they only have 91,000 customers, but you said 1.8 million people that they're reaching. Yeah. Well, like that, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it the, the network effect over time could be a big competitive advantage. That's what I feel like they're still building. Yeah. And, and I think that's with a business like this. I mean, that's why you're going to see a business like this remain unprofitable for the foreseeable future because they're they're investing that money into the growth of the business. They know that the only real way to, to make this work over the long haul is to get bigger, to grow the customers and to grow that network. And to do that, it just costs money. And I mean, this is obviously a very competitive industry. Um, and this is a smaller company. So, I mean, I think you're right. They're, they're investing a lot in that network effect, um, in, into that network to, to benefit from that network effect. But then f- think about some of the some of the, the, the results from a network effect, right? I mean, I think that a company that invests wisely in that over time um, you know, companies, customers then start to see more value in being a part of that network and being a customer of Bill.com. And when you see more value in being that customer, you're willing maybe to pay a little bit more over time to do that, to, to maintain that relationship. So they have a little right, bit of so pricing power there. Right. That, that, that's kind of what's my next point. The network effect kind of is what would transform them from losing money to making money. Yeah. Right now, their acquisition cost is very high because, like you said, they're they're growing, they're trying to build the business, and they're willing to take a loss to do that. Mm-hmm. As it gets bigger and bigger, and you know the network effect takes over, their acquisition costs kind of will slow down to the point where they can be profitable, and that's the ultimate goal here. And and then there's then it kind of increases the cost of switching, both in terms of convenience and money for for their customers. So. Um, right, like right now, if you're you can't get rid of Venmo if you if you are, have a built up <laughs> network with it. Um, so I I think the networking network effect is going to be their big competitive advantage. I think right now the big competitive advantage is they're well funded and willing to take a loss. Yeah, is yeah. one of their big advantages right now. Exactly. I mean, when in, in they're in it, they're in a point in time at least it feels like in the market where the market is more than happy to embrace these types of businesses. The market seems really excited to give a lot of these businesses the opportunity at least to to, to prove themselves and and so they 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 they're they let that that price to sales multiple that we talked about you know they they let those multiples get get stretched because they feel like there's that opportunity right they see a big market opportunity they see they see technology that's working and and I think that's something that we we didn't really mention here but something that drives um bill.com's platform i mean they certainly are using AI, right? They're using artificial intelligence to their advantage. I mean, this is a business that was built with technology. It's not an it's not an old school business that's having to pivot to a new way of doing things. I mean, this is a business that was really built on this idea of things like AI and the cloud and being able to serve uh, uh, customers in, in a different way that they weren't used to being uh, to that they weren't used to being served. Right, and that's a good point. Like Build.com is not the only company that does what it does. Right. That's not at all what we're saying here. But they don't have kind of a legacy like infrastructure or technology that they're working with. This was, like you said, developed from scratch for this purpose. 
and to do it in a modern and efficient way. Um, I was reading on their site that they claim that um, invoicing can be done in half the time as with traditional methods. Yeah. Because they're, you know, of their AI technology. And I know AI is your 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 favorite, and I wish I would have listened to you more about it. <laughs> one incorporating of, it a little bit more into of, my portfolio. Yep. It's 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 powerful stuff. I mean, you know, seeing a lot of businesses right. that are taking taking uh, you know these tools that technology has, has given us today, and it's uh, creating a lot of opportunity there in, in ways to do things faster and and for uh, less cost in most cases. Um, but I mean, you know, you 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 mentioned uh, the the competition there, and, and I think that's something worth talking about because. You know, again, when you look at this business, I mean, it's market cap five point six billion dollars, something like that. I mean, trailing twelve months of sales, one hundred twenty million dollars. This is a small. Let's just dismiss the market cap for a second. This is a small, small business. And, and when you look at the competitive space, I mean, you know, I was just looking through Cap IQ, for example, and they list companies like Fiserv and the big banks. I mean, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo were listed in there. Um, and this even made me think of another company that I've been uh, digging more and more into lately, called Coupa Software, which is. Focused Focused on business uh, management services processes, they have a payments dynamic to the business as well. I think there are a lot of companies out there that see a big market opportunity out there, and, and I think this is going to be a very competitive space, um, which is really going to that that's going to cost Bill.com in the near term at least. They're going to have to really pay up to keep this business growing. Yeah, and remember they're focusing on the the lower end of the market too, which a lot of the competitors you named they're more focused on larger businesses. Yeah. Um, especially the small business realm, a lot of a lot of the big players don't aren't willing to take a loss to recruit small business companies. Yeah, into their into their platform. I wonder why that is. I mean, it. it I mean, I, I guess I understand to a degree, but it, you know, then all of a sudden, it makes a lot more sense why a company like Square came to exist. Right? They saw this void. They saw this this small to medium sized business, and I mean, I just I look back to when I worked at the bank, right? I worked at one of the big banks for a few years back in the early two thousands, and I remember the merchant services side of that business, where essentially banks were representing small businesses in the area. So if you were a small business and you wanted to be able to accept credit cards, you know, you'd go to the local bank and you'd ask them for the merchant services package. You'd speak with the merchant services rep, and they would give you the clunky hardware and the ability to swipe and and, and to you know take Visa and Mastercard and what. Not. And, and then you were paying an arm and a leg to be able to do that, and, and so you see a company like Square, they they see that opportunity and they decided to go ahead and pursue it, and and that certainly feels like something that Bill dot com is doing as well. Um, I, I've always just kind of wondered why why so many are more more than willing to sort of overlook that space. Well, that you know the small business market is hard to serve in a profitable way. It's true. Um, it's a good point. If, I mean, look at Square. They target small and medium sized businesses, and they're and, and think of how big Square has gotten, and they've just become profitable. Yeah. Um, so Bill.com is willing to take the hit, and a lot of the big companies. You know, I, I think what Bill.com subscription fee started, I think it was thirty six or thirty nine dollars. I'm not exactly sure which one, but it's 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 a pretty low revenue at first, a, a low revenue model. Um, you know, this is building up subscription revenue over time, and it's. You know, compared to landing giant clients that are going to spend $100,000 a year on your platform, which is what a lot of these AI software companies are really going after. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a difficult way to make money until you really scale. And Zoom has deep pockets. Or not Zoom. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm watching our Zoom window. Uh, Bill.com uh, has um, almost $400 million in cash on its balance sheet. Yeah. So when I say it's losing, um, what is it? Uh, 
$2.9 million in the last quarter. It could afford to do that for quite some time with $400 million on its balance sheet. Yeah. And, so, and you figure there's probably an enthusiastic investor base out there that's going to be willing to give them a little bit of time, and they, they'd be able to raise more money in the near term if they really needed to. Right. So at, at the current loss rate, that's, you know, what, one uh, over 100 quarters that it could keep this up at. Get, and that's assuming that losses don't narrow any over that time. Which yeah. So that's a lot of that's a lot of growth runway where they really don't have to care about being profitable. You figure so. And and I mean, you know, to your point about the small and medium sized businesses, I mean, look look at what's going on today. I mean, today is a very good example of there is a there is a higher risk involved with serving those smaller to medium sized businesses in that they don't have the same um, they don't have the same stability, right? They they are at higher risk for you know, like like what we're going through right now. I mean, you you got to figure that that probably some of Bill dot com's customer base is some of that customer base is probably feeling a little bit of pinch right now, and they probably lose a little bit of cus of that customer base in the near term based on what we've been going through over these past few months. Yeah, well, they 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 gave an, an update along with their earning in their earnings call a couple weeks ago and said that when the pandemic started, they definitely started to see some churn in their platform. Um, they, they're doing a great job of working with customers. I, I saw that they they waived the subscription fees for three months for any struggling customers. Yeah, I saw that. Um, so, but and they're also seeing an inflow of business from businesses who kind of want to simplify their their payment processes. Um, if you could do something more efficiently and save money over time, you know, at, at a time when your business is hurting, is a good time to look into those kind of options. <laughs> no doubt. So Bill's getting a nice little tailwind there from businesses who are you know maybe hurting but still you know keeping their heads above water. Um, so they have seen some churn. They they did say that the pandemic will affect their revenue, but it doesn't look like it's going to be that big of a hit. And I mean, any fintech companies have been performing fantastically well in the pandemic. Bill.com's doubled since, since Stan the March. Yeah. Um, and the reason is because it looks like these companies are not going to be hit as much as you might think. For every negative you know, for every headwind they're facing, there's a positive tailwind to to bring their business back up. We saw that in PayPal's numbers, we saw that in Square's numbers, and we saw that in Bill's numbers, which is why the the stock has shot up so much. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we've we've generally speaking, I mean, the government has more or less shown that they're going to try to keep the, the the money spigot open and flowing to the to the you know to the people and the businesses that need it the most. I mean, now how quickly that gets to them is, is another story entirely but it does it does sound like i mean you know our government is just not not going to just let it, uh, leave everybody hanging here so uh, yeah that's it's certainly something to to keep in mind for for the uh, for the longer term um it, matt let's talk about management here for a little bit because you know we we always talk about the types of businesses that we like to find um, in our foolish universe, we talk about founder-led businesses and and, and uh, you know companies that are being led by by the this you know the founder. Um, and, and this is a business that is that is it falls into that category here. Rene uh, Lacert is the founder of Bill.com. He is the CEO of the business, and he still owns a little chunk of the company as well, around four and a half percent of the shares outstanding. Um, so he does have some skin in the game, right? I mean, this isn't. 
It's not a Jeff Bezos situation, right? He doesn't own 20% of the business. Um, and we've seen that work both ways, too, right? Just because the founder is leading the way, that doesn't mean it's a no-brainer either. I mean, I refer you to Under Armour. Uh, that that has turned out to be, you know, obviously a, a, a tremendous disappointment for a lot of folks. And I, I think you could place a lot of the blame squarely on Kevin Plank. <laughs> but, you know, in, in this case here, you've got a founder who's leading the way here. And um, it does seem like he has a vision for the business, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, to, to your point, sometimes founders do find themselves over their head when businesses start to scale, yeah. and that's that's kind of what we saw with Under Armour. And um, you know, Under Armour did fantastically well its first you know few years of business, but then when it got to the point where it was a big national brand, they just needed somebody else. Yeah. Um, but having said that, Rene Lassert is this isn't his first rodeo. <laughs> it's actually it's worth pointing out. Um, he founded a company called PayCycle that was you know the the first big online payroll solution platform. And uh, it ended up being so successful into it, bought it out. Um, I'm pretty sure that became some of what QuickBooks is. Nice. Uh, today. But so he's he's had success in this before and has shown his ability to to scale a business. So that that's a big difference. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't know Kevin Plank's history as well. Um, did he? I don't think he had anything giant before Under Armour. No, I mean that. I think he just basically he was in college. He, he found sort of a, a problem in in some of the ways, some of the some of the clothing that athletes were wearing, and, and that was just sort of where the idea formed. And so it, it was really that was kind of his first rodeo, and he just parlayed. Yeah, so it he he was kind of an accidental founder, not, <laughs> yeah. and, whereas um, whereas Rene Lassert is kind of an intentional founder yeah. in this case. Yeah, he said, "I've done I've done this successfully before. I'm going to do it again." Not here's a problem. How do I solve it? And then I'll worry about scaling later. Well, and there's some big ownership there too. In you know, we we talk about uh, founders owning you know a chunk of the of the of the business, and that's always worth noting. I mean, it is also worth noting. And oftentimes, you'll see when businesses like this just go public um, early on, you'll see that there are big venture capital and private equity stakes involved here as well. And and certainly Bill.com is no exception. I mean, in VC and PE firms with, with greater than 5% stakes in the business, you have four different firms that account for um, close to close to thirty, a little bit over, a little bit more than thirty percent of the actual business. So you know that that's not a bad thing necessarily. I mean, it, it shows that there's some partners out there that really believe in the business. But by the same token, it also means at some point um, down the line, those firms are going to want to they're going to want an exit strategy, right? I mean, they're investing in this business. They're they're not long term investors like we are. They're going to want to cash out at some point, which means that low float today is going to go up, and more shares are going to are going to hit the market. That's just always something worth keeping in mind, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, right as you're saying that, I'm looking this way because I have another screen this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at um, at Bill's board, and virtually every board member is member is a venture capital partner. Yeah, um, well, and which that's you'll, usually you see a, one of the carrots, you see a lot right? in these new IPOs. Yeah, um, so. To your point, I could see Bill.com becoming an acquisition target if it keeps growing like this. Yeah. I could see it being bought out by like a square to because it's a great complement to their small and medium-sized payroll payment processing business. Yeah. Um, or, or something like – or another one of the big ones, or Intuit themselves, or, or they're, they're not that big to the point where they're you know prohibitive for companies to acquire. I mean, a $5 billion company is still within the realm of possibilities for most fintech companies that could be – potential acquirers. I, I could see that um, more so than most of the other companies we talk about. I think Bill could be on someone's radar. 
Yeah, and and I like that customer base in um, focusing on the small to medium sized businesses as opposed to just like you know the everyday consumer. I mean, you need Square and, and PayPal. I mean, anything about Square is that has that two sided network. I mean, Bill dot com really does have that that focus on the small to medium sized business, and um, you know there is just there is a lot of value there, and, and so I, I do like that. And I bet you're right. I bet there will be some big firms out there that look at this business um, and, and start thinking that maybe it could plug into their network. Um, you know, Coupa software was one that just stood out to me as is one that could could see this as, as being a nice uh, you know, addition to their business model as well. But I mean, Coupa again, that's that's their three times the market cap. But but I mean, still, you know, trading at a similar style multiple. I mean, not quite as expensive as as, as Bill dot com, but. You know, I mean, you're talking about a fifteen, sixteen billion dollar company that's bringing in like I don't know, four hundred million dollars in sales or something like that. So clearly, these businesses are having a moment, and um, and in the market is is definitely telling us something with Bill.com. So I guess here's here's you know, this is the the ten thousand dollar question, man. After digging into this company, I mean, I, I go back to how we started this show. I mean, this is the type of business I look at this business and I think. I, I can make the case for the stock to fall off a cliff just as much as I can make the case for the stock to triple from here. Like I, I, I think it's you could flip a coin. Is this the type of business? I mean, is this the type of business that you feel like you'd want to own, or is this the type of business that you feel like you'd want to watch this play out a little bit, give it a little bit more time to see how they how they're able to handle life as a publicly traded company? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a roller coaster ride. Um, so that ninety-one thousand customer figure—that's up twenty-eight percent year over year. Yeah. If that growth rate were to rise to say forty percent, you'll see the stock double or triple overnight, nearly easily. If that were to fall, if that were to fall to fifteen percent, you could see this come crashing down so fast. Because remember, thirty-four times sales is a huge valuation. It is. So, like any IPO stock, I would say if it's on your radar, don't put any more than you know one or two percent of your your money into it. Um, having said that, this could turn out to be a big winner if things go right. So yeah, yeah, I think I think you hit it on the head there. I mean, you, there are a lot of companies that we've said this about the valuations. I mean, Shopify stands out as one. Zoom certainly stands out. I mean, we've seen these valuations that are just they can be a little bit scary, but by the same token, you see some winning qualities that 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 start to make a little bit of, of sense as to why the valuation is that way. And this is the type of company, I think, for me, I'm, I'm interested in these types of businesses. I love the market they're pursuing. I feel like if it's one that I, I you know, they're, they're, I, to me, I think there are probably more reasons to own a business like this than to not. But it is one where I would probably open up with a very small position just to get my skin in the game, to get my to get my interest up there to follow it. Because I feel like there's a, this is the type of business I wouldn't mind adding to. And I don't have a problem adding to a winner, if if it's you know if you see if you see some signs that the business is succeeding and and the market continues to reward it, I don't mind adding to winners. Um, so this might be one of those types of businesses, but definitely um, one one that I think you know investors out there really ought to keep their eyes on. And um, and and I appreciate you taking the time to dig into it and talk about it with me today. Uh, before we wrap up this week, Matt, let's just jump into one to watch real quick. What's the stock you got on your radar this coming week and why? Um, I am watching Goldman Sachs. I've talked about that on our show before. Um, The live viewers haven't heard me talk about it, so I wanted to bring it up again for a good reason. I own the stock. I have no plans to sell it. Tomorrow, you'll see an article by me coming out that says, here's why Warren Buffett sold Goldman Sachs, and I'm not. Ah. Um, um, Buffett released uh, Berkshire Hathaway's 13F filing, which 
shows his stock portfolio activity, and he dumped 85% of his Goldman Sachs stock. Wowza. Um, so that's why Goldman Sachs is kind of underperforming the financial... I mean, it's still up because everything's up today. Yeah. But it's still underperforming the financial sector quite a bit. I think it has a lot of long-term potential consumer banking-wise. Um, Goldman trades at a 25% discount to its book value right now, and I think that the... It, it might be a little too risky for Warren Buffett, which is why he sold it. But I think the risk reward makes a lot of sense for investors with a little more risk tolerance than Berkshire Hathaway does. I got you there. Yeah, I was reading about that. Um, I'm going to keep an eye on Intuit. Um, that's earnings are coming out this week on Thursday for Intuit. And I think a lot of people um, they think Intuit. They, they immediately think TurboTax. I mean, this has been a really interesting stretch of time from every angle. And I mean, you've seen the tax deadlines extended. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we're talking about. I mean, to Intuit being a company that's participating in the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, it sounds like we're going to be seeing more money coming uh, into the to the hands of consumers and businesses as, as we try to buy some time to get through this stretch here. Uh, so it, it does sound like it's going to be a really busy year for Intuit and a very established and strong business. Um, now, they did guide down earlier in the month on May 7th. Um, but that said, I mean, I, I, that again, I think is just that's that's something everybody's in the same boat there. I just I think this is a really fascinating business. I'm going to be um, interested to see how earnings work out for them this coming week, and um, yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on there. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Uh, remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com and let us know uh, how everything's going, how you're making it through this tough time, what stocks are you buying. What stocks are you selling, and what stocks do you want us to talk about on the show? Uh, let us know, because we always like hearing from you. And Matt, always like hearing from you, man. Thanks for taking the time to join me this week. Of course. Always good to see you. All righty. Well, we will see you next week. And as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to our man Austin Morgan for making all of these moving parts work this week with Zoom and Audacity, the live audience of the podcast. This really worked out well. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.